0: Hey Coach, welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. Let's share the game. Excited to welcome Northwest Florida State College Head Coach Stephen DeMayo to the Basketball Podcast. DeMeo is making a second stint with the Raiders after a brilliant tenure from 2013-19. DeMayo most recently served as assistant coach for East Carolina University during the 2021-22 season and was at St. John's University in the same role from 2019-21. to DeMaio's previous time leading the Raiders was remarkable. Coach DeMaio took Northwest Florida State College to a national title and was named the Spalding NJCAA National Coach of the Year in 2015. Under DeMeo's direction, Northwest Florida State turned in a six-year record of 198 and 35, earned an additional berth in 2017 NJCAA Final Four, and advanced to the Elite Eight in 2016, 2018, and 2019. Prior to taking over at Northwest Florida State, DeMeo spent 17 years as an assistant coach at the Division I level, enjoying successful stints at Iona, Providence, UCF, and Hostra.
1: Stephen, welcome to the Basketball Podcast. Great to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Huge, huge fan of yours and the podcast. I listen to them regularly when I'm on the treadmill or for a nice walk in my neighborhood, and it's a pleasure to be here.
0: That's great. I'm, I love hearing people that obviously are getting their work in in multiple ways when they listen to the podcast. And... I've known about you and your name for a very long time. What an incredible career. And, you know, Coach, I think it's a unique advantage because you told me you're going into practice right after the podcast. So why don't you take us through your process from, say, the last practice to the next practice in terms of how you build into that next practice?
1: Sure, sure. You know, it depends on, you know, right now we're in the middle of the year. We're opening conference on Saturday. So it's kind of a little bit, we're a little advanced. But early, more early in the year, we, you know, we're, we're trying to develop fundamentals and, and. Each team is so different because, you know, every year we have a new roster. You know, some guys are a little more advanced. Like last year's team, we had a bunch of third-year guys and and two fourth-year guys with the COVID rules. So those guys had a little bit more basketball understanding. A lot of the guys we have this year are freshmen and, and, and true second-year guys. So, you know, we've got to probably do a lot more of the fundamental stuff, the basic fundamental stuff. But we do believe – that, you know, fundamentals are great for everybody and, you know, basically ball handling and passing and shooting, you know, obviously defensive slides and things like that. But in you know, the last couple of days we're preparing for our first league game against Chipola, which is a big rivalry game for us. So we've been putting in some different sets and some different strategies on how to attack their defense because they play predominantly zone. So a lot of that, a lot of what we've been talking about is how to attack their zone and and it's, it's a kind of a, interesting matchup zone and coach Donnie Tindall used to coach at Tennessee and, and he's been all over the place. You know, he was a G league coach in De- I think in Detroit, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah I'm not
0: sure. So. But uh, I know the name and incredibly successful as well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, you know, so, so basically, basically me and my staff every single day before we practice, usually in the morning, we go over, you know, what we think we need to improve upon. And you know, I know a lot of coaches have the files in our office and they go to you know, last year's practice and the year before his practice. You know, I keep the practices in there, but I don't do that because every single season we have new players. And usually it's 10 or 11 new players this year. It's it's uh, 11 new players. And we have three returners. One played last year. One was a role player. And then one was a one was a redshirt. So like, really, it's, it's only one guy played significant minutes. So, you know, we have to treat this from day one like they don't understand much, which, you know, some of these guys did not. Luckily, though, we run this kind of like a mid-major. So we have guys here in summer school. We do summer workouts. We do summer lifting. We have academics uh, to take multiple classes in the summer to get, either get eligible, or to get advanced for, towards graduation. So, but yeah, no, that's it's it, it, it's and I, the other thing I should tell you, also, my staff brings a lot to the table every day. Like I, I let them throw out ideas because those guys are smart. I mean, they've been places they've coached places. And uh, even though they don't get paid a lot and they're young, they've got great ideas
0: absolutely and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about your staff but uh, and some of the uh, obviously the roster turnover and the the challenges of that but uh, just focusing a little bit more on the practice so from the last practice what is the next step for you is it is it first that you review the practice in terms of watching the film what is it in your mind that helps you prepare for that next practice best
1: yeah, yeah some of it's film work but some of it's just a feel you know I've done this for a long time and I and every time you watch film, you see things you'd miss because you know you can't see everything. But but it's about like just I, I watch a lot. I let my my assistants run a lot of the drills. I don't talk as much in practices as, as most head coaches do because I just don't I don't think if you're talking too much you can't see. And I step back a lot and and you know I let them coach teams in practice as well. So I actually could see what we need to get better and and we do correct guys on the spot. You know my dream is. One day have a uh, film practice and be have, have to instantly show guys on the court. I know there's a system to do that, but we can't afford to do that here. <laughs> but uh, but you know, you're right. we do right. We we do we do come back to the next meeting and say what do we need to improve on? You know, some of our sets maybe the timing is off, or the, the, you know we're doing some dribble handoff stuff. It's too the handoffs too low or too high. So you know we're always correcting spacing, which is you know huge for most teams, and it's really huge for the way we play. And
0: what, one of the main things in terms of empowering your staff like that, which is really cool, I imagine must be that you spend a lot of time coaching your staff as well, because they've got to know a lot more detail about what you want for them to be able to execute what you want as well.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I think just think all the meetings we have, like, you know, they're, they're in my offices when I'm getting calls about recruits and stuff like we're around each other a lot. And I know a lot of staffs, some coaches, you know, I don't know, you heard Rick Barnes never has staff meetings. He just gives them a practice plan and they go. But like for my guys, I've had them for maybe one or two years max. They're like the players. We have we have new guys every year and they don't get paid a lot. So and they're young and they're hungry. They want to be division one assistants usually or, or be head coaches. So just being around each other a lot is definitely helps them understand my thought process. And a lot of times they already have a good feel for it because they know guys that work for me. And I try to hire guys that no guys that work for me, so they understand how to how to operate the way we want to operate every day. But I do give them a lot of a lot of responsibility and practice. They're running the drills, and they're actually coaching. And every once in a while, I'll jump in here and there. But like, you know, they have a lot of responsibility because I want them to invest it too. And if they're not, and if they they don't, if and I shouldn't say this, but I go to so many practices, and I just see the assistants sitting there or standing there and just not saying a word. And like, you know. But most of the head coaches i worked for, I was pretty involved. But there were, there were two separate uh, deals where I went work with Coach Joe Dooley, who's one of the best in business. And it was my first year with him. And, you know, I was involved in some things, but constantly taking notes in practice. And same thing when I worked for Kirk Spira. And I worked for Tim Walsh for 13 years. So I was very involved in a lot of stuff. But, like, when you're new, you know, you don't have the feel of when to jump in, when not to jump in. So you're constantly trying to evaluate things and learn the system. But that's why we meet so regularly because – I want these guys to, to 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 hit the ground running and and be involved every day. Plus the players, plus the players don't really want to hear from me every second of every day. They'd rather hear from the assistants. They really would. Then again, you've won a lot, coach. So I'm sure they want to hear from you a
0: little bit. So that's <laughs> good too. But no, I know you. I know you really value this mentorship role for your staff. And I'm curious because being around young coaches nowadays, for me. It's so impressive, the knowledge base they already have. Obviously, they have access to resources that you and I didn't have when we came up in terms of video and synergy and all these different things. So maybe give me an idea of what are some of the areas of improvement generally that you find young coaches need that maybe that's one of the main things that you focus on?
1: Just a typical, like any coach, I mean, it could be a 40-year-old coach. And, you know, I think a lot of times they want to, sometimes they take the... Freedom they have, and, and they go a little too far, you know. Constantly talking during games, and like you know, so like we talk about that a little bit, and sometimes I miss it, and all of a sudden I got be, hey guys, you know, like, I only get one voice, and and they always do a better job of now working the three guys together, and they bring one one idea to me, and that type of stuff. So definitely that, but as you said, like these guys are sharp. I mean, Chris, I mean, you, you know, your podcast and your videos they have out on on Twitter, like. You know they're watching those things and and they're bringing new ideas to me on a daily basis. And then you're obviously you're not the only guy that does this. There's a there's a lot of them out there, and it's a lot of great stuff that comes to me. Basically, things they have to improve upon. I mean, there's a lot of it. You know how you speak to guys, all that type of stuff. Talking lesson, practice. I mean, there's always a, there's always an assistant that's phenomenal. But they, I'm like, hey, you gotta, you got to do it in like three or four or five words. You can't go on for 30 seconds or a minute because it just kills the flow. And that's kind of why I don't do it because I'm trying to have more flow in practice and have more of an up-tempo situation so we're not constantly stopping and talking. And we're having 12 guys watch one guy talk or 14 guys watch one guy talk.
0: Well, it's such a great point, Coach, because, I mean, again, you can learn a lot of the technical, tactical and plays and stuff like that, watching on my feed and other feeds, but to actually apply it, is a completely sure. different thing and especially methods around teaching that you just mentioned there about talking too long and that tends to be a young coach thing because again i think they try and are they're almost like trying to put on a coaching clinic and i get it right because they want to share their all their knowledge sure. and that's really hard to rein in and i know i struggled with that as a young coach as well
1: no, listen, I mean, we we probably all have, but but the reality is less is more. And, I, and that's something I've written on my board. We talk about it all the time, less is more for coaches, less is more for the players. I mean, players always trying to make have four moves in one, one, one at the deal. Like, just go one way and make it take a shot. You know, like, same thing for us. Just get, hit them with one good point and get on to the next thing. Because, I mean, the reality of this thing is, obviously, you have to be in sync as a team, but. You know, you have to be in great condition. I think when you stop practice constantly, you mess up the flow. But the reality is, like I said before, I was taking notes in practice. I took notes all the time to talk to individual players about stuff because it wasn't my place to jump in, you know, Coach Spiro's practice, Coach Dooley's practice. because I didn't know when I could do that. So after practice, you, you you clip the film, you show them some of the things you wanted to, them to see during practice. But now you bring them in your office, have a nice little conversation about life. And hey, do you want to see a couple of clips of practice yesterday? And they always say yes. And everyone wants to get better. That's why they're there, you know, especially when you do it in that manner. Sometimes even doing it on the court, you know, a lot of these kids are easily embarrassed or easily, you know, just they get they get down when you when you correct them. And I I mean, every coach that's listening to this. Now we're all in the same boat. You know, every kid's sensitive. Sometimes you call their name and they hate it. They, they, They all of a sudden they get skittish. But I think doing it after practice and I think doing it in your office sometimes is even a better way to do it than on the court.
0: Great insights in terms of uh, being an assistant and, uh, you know, the different kind of adaptability that you have to have. So that's awesome. And I know part of your success as a head coach has to do with a little bit of your philosophy that offense helps out the defense, which in turn keeps everyone happy. And I think particularly that last part, I want to hear you talk about a little bit connecting that to happiness.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, now if your kids don't like you, especially with the new NIL and all that stuff that's going on, in division one basketball, you know, they're out. So you got to sell them on some stuff. And I think, you know, being a great offensive team and working on offense, the guys love that. But in turn, like when you become a really good offensive team and you share the ball and everyone's touching the ball and you score the ball, it's gets obviously, you know, everyone knows it that's your defense. But like, you know, I know a lot of coaches come in and they're like, hey, we're gonna work on defense for the first, you know, 30 days of practice or whatever it happens to be. But, you know, I just really believe that keeping our guys happy and they're together and and they know what they know what shots to take. I mean, the first thing we teach is shot selection. You know, we want tens and nines and maybe an eight once in a while. A lot of these guys don't understand that. So that's the fight for us early on. And once we get everyone on the same page or close to on the same page, our offense usually takes a step forward, a big step forward. And then it really helps your defense. Yeah. I mean, everyone's worried about the numbers these days. Their parents are worried about the numbers. Their AU coaches are worried about the numbers. Their guys are worried about the numbers. You know, that guy, everyone is a guy. But like, you know, we try to make sure that everyone knows, they're, man, are going to get a lot, everyone's going to get a touch. And obviously, we're big on spacing and, ball reversal. Sometimes I think everyone touching the ball is not a great thing on some teams, but we're fortunate we usually have five guys on the court that could dribble pass and hopefully shoot. One of the challenges
0: at your level in talking to so many other junior college coaches is obviously the players want to individually improve and have the stats to be able to go on, and yet balancing that with obviously team success. So talk yeah. to us a little bit about how you connect those two things for players.
1: So, you know, we're fortunate. You know, Northwest Florida is, is is a blue blood of junior colleges. People call us the Duke of Juke, but I don't know if that's correct or not. But the reality is I tell these guys when I recruit them, and and I know it's getting more difficult recruiting great players because there's a smaller pool now. Back in the day, Division One guys would go junior college because they didn't want to sit. Now they have to sit. They don't have to sit, so they, there's less guys come, go junior college. You know, there's no more a- ACT or SAT for the most part. So our pool shrunk. But I think we do a great job as a staff of finding the guys we want to recruit that are very talented basketball players and making sure they understand him. You know, you may not be a 20 point night scorer, you know, as long as you're scoring, you know, eight, seven, 10, you know, you're going to get a division one scholarship. You're going to get to where you want to go. And you want to be part of a winner. Do you want to go to school near the beach? Do you want to play in in a new arena? You know, obviously I sell myself with my experiences. I've done this for three decades plus now. So like, you know, I think a lot of those things factor into it. But the reality is we have to make these kids understand, like, hey, to win, you have to sacrifice. And it's not, it's it's easier said and done in the summertime. And it's some rough, rocky times in Jan in, in October when we're at those jamborees or early in the season. But we do a lot of individual mentoring with the guys and talking to the guys. And you know, I think I think overall most of the guys get it. We've had we've had some good success, but every once in a while there's a guy that's on an island.
0: Always is that guy. But uh, coach, for those that aren't, <laughs> coach, those that aren't watching it on YouTube and seeing the background you got up, I, I can see how you sell the beach, just a yeah, gorgeous view, gorgeous sunset. And uh, what a beautiful place to play, no doubt. Coach, you mentioned uh, shot selection, which I want to dive a little bit deeper. How do you communicate and hold them accountable to your shot selection?
1: Well, that's, that's, uh, that's great. You know, we try to recruit the best offensive players, to so usually have some kind of understanding. But there's always the guy that's that's an outliner. We got a guy on our roster right now who, who took a lot of bad shots. He was with us last year. Now he's back, but he's he's taken a huge step because he understands. You know, if he takes open shots, his percentage go up. You know, and versus taking contested shots. And in practice sometimes I'll call out guys and less now than I did in the past. I'll we'll be like, tell me what you think your shot is on a one to ten, and more than than not, they're like a seven or an eight. And then sometimes I'd ask the other guys on the roster, what do you think? And some guys, now they don't, like to, they don't like to say it, but back in the day, they'd be like, oh, that's a five or a four. But now everyone loves each other and they love each other on the court, off the court. So like, they, they don't even like to answer that question. But I think it's just about talking to them and making them understand that, you know, a contested shot's not a great shot. I mean, the uncontested shots are much better shots. And if we share the ball and move the ball, it's going to come back to you.
0: I'm not saying you, you do this and I, it doesn't really matter if you do or not, but I'm curious because I know the analytics are really impacting recruiting at the highest level. So I'm curious what you do, if anything, to be able to communicate to your players the value of efficiency and some of these different numbers that are driving recruitment at that next level.
1: Yeah, you know, we don't get into that as much, but like, I mean, yesterday my assistant had a breakdown on the board of, you know, first side, second side, third side, fourth side, percentages against a certain team we're playing against, and like making them understand that, like you know, deep breakdown when the defense breaks down, what's going to happen is you're going to have an easier shot. It's going to be a cut to the basket or it's going to be wide open three. So, you know, we don't actually get into the numbers probably like a lot of programs do because we have so many other things that we have to deal with on a daily basis on you know, helping these guys grow, you know, as, as student athletes and as, as, as people as well. So there's a lot of that type of stuff going on where the analytics we kind of put to the side. It's more just we just tell them what we expect. But, you know, that's something we probably should dive deeper into as we move forward.
0: Just a curious thought, but you mentioned academics. So maybe give us some insights in terms of how you've done that, because balancing that for these players has been so important to your success and helping so many players move on. So talk to us a little bit about how the setup is for them academically.
1: Yes. So, you know, everyone comes in with different stories. Some guys are good students. Some guys aren't good students. Some guys need some summer classes to become eligible you know, it's it's just about my, it's really about my staff. And, and 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 they spend an enormous amount of time helping these guys with time management and, and, and getting them to tutors and getting them to work with stuff. And, you know, it's a little different now, too, because, you know, I used to be talk about, hey, you know, you have to go to class in the morning. Now it's a lot of this online stuff. And you know, I think a lot of schools are going online now. We do have guys that go to class as well, which I think is important because you still have, you have the relationship piece and communication piece with people, but it's it's more about a time management thing, getting guys to, to the right places and making sure they're, 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 they are they're speak to their professors. I mean, we make our guys obviously sit in front of the class for the most part and talk to the professors and make them understand, you know, that that, that, that they're very interested. And if you think if you do that, especially at the junior college level, you're going to have some success and, I you know, we had a 3.5 GPA in the fall, which is—I was shocked we had it to be honest. With you, but and, and because, but we have some guys that took that academic serious, and we have had multiple academic all-Americans. We got one on my team right now that was an academic all-American last year, and he's an academic all-American this year. So you know, he's—he takes serious, and and these guys know if they don't graduate with a good GPA, schools aren't going to look at them, especially now more than ever with a portal situation. We hit that—we hit that thing hard. We told them, hey. If you have bad grades, they're not going to take you. You've got to make sure you have over three, three or better. So, but it comes down to like I said, my staff works really, really closely with these guys on a daily basis.
0: I know you install a wide range of defenses. Talk to us a little bit about that philosophy and why Perfect. you approach it that way.
1: Yeah, so I put a lot of things in early: one three one, one two two, one two one one press traps, all that stuff. Because eventually, we're going to see it, right? So. We'll already have it in. So you don't have to reinstall it when you're playing against a team and put it in. So they already know, you know, the one three to play against the one three one. We've practiced against it a couple of days in the fall, a couple of days, you know, maybe in the summertime and that type of stuff. But honestly, I really put it in because I don't know what's going to work for my team ever. I have no idea what's going to work. Like, like when I took Steve, to I replaced Steve Forbes in 2013. He said, he said, he's like, yo, I, cause he recruited basically that team for me. I got here in the summer. He's like, this is going to be the best two-three team I've ever seen, and you're, you're going to be a great two-three coach because you worked with Tim Welsh, you worked with Jim Beheim, and we did it for 13 years at Iona in Providence. And but man, like I, I put the two-three in, and 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 they weren't any good at it, but they were great men. And like, like so you just never know until you throw it out there. You know, you, I mean, that's we had the two-two-one, and I thought we we're going to be great at the two-two-one-three quarter-court press. We're better at the 1-2-2, two, two. much better at it. I don't know why, but it's a more a little more aggressive, and it's these guys like it. You know, I put a lot of different offenses, obviously, you know, ball screen stuff, flex stuff. You know, we'll throw a chin action in the two. We'll, we'll throw whatever we, whatever, you know, a lot of horns actions. I just want to see what they gravitate towards, especially when you have guys for less than a month. You know, you start to coach guys a month, two, three, four, five. And by the time he's over, he's eight, eight months later, seven months later, they're gone. So you got to do the process over. So find out what they like getting back to being happy, you know, and they always have ideas too and that's probably one of my weaknesses which is also a strength i give these guys a lot of opportunity to talk and practice and sometimes it's too much but like a lot of times they have great ideas they really do
0: so to take us a little deeper in this let's say let's focus on the defense maybe so when sure. you install a bunch of these different defenses is it initially it's just like the basics the basic understanding of it and then as you evolve throughout kind of the next few weeks then you decide what you need to dive deeper into 100 percent correct like you know like for instance
1: You know, we got the 131 in this year and we're going to play it as a trapping defense. We're going to trap all four boxes. We, You know, that's that call for it. You know, then we're going to have the low, which is, you know, just trap the bottom two boxes, you know, in the the baseline corners, you know, it's like, and like, as they grow with it, you know, you add to it, you know, our man to man is outstanding. And I, I, like, I didn't think we're going to be that good of a defensive team. I thought we'd be a better offensive team. We're a better defensive team and we're a better offensive team this year by our numbers. And you know, it just it's just starts evolving and you have to, as I say, you have to watch and and, and just listen and, and see, you know, what what really works. But we do build on things like we we run some flex action. So we're building on the flex action. Now we got the bumps. We got the, you know, some double away for some threes. Now, like we just dri- dribble handoff stuff like, you know, we put the basic flex in and then all of a sudden you add to that. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of coaches do that, but we don't ever come into the season with a preconceived notion of what we're going to do and what we're going to run. Now, obviously, like to press and trap, but like, you know, you have to have it in because you're going to need it eventually. You know, I watched a game last night and the team was down eight and and it was like 30 seconds on the clock. They didn't trap it and press and they just let the game. But like, I was like, you got you to gotta press, you got to trap. Like, some of my teams aren't good at it, but we have to do it eventually. So you have to have it in.
0: It makes sense. And you, you referred to this a few times, but freedom early on and then reining them in later. So talk to us about that.
1: Yeah. So I'll use one of my players this year, for example, Tavion Banks. He was with me last year as a freshman, hard-nosed, tough kid from Kansas city, he went to Minnesota prep, you know, really good prep out that way. You know, he was shooting threes in practice and I'm like, Yo, you're going to stop shooting threes. And I'm telling him that. And then all of a sudden he keeps shooting threes and like, he started taking better threes. Like he, just, he wouldn't take the bad ones. He'd take the better ones. And I'm like, this guy could shoot threes. And now he's knocking in threes for us as a sophomore at a pretty good rate. I mean, he just knocked in seven threes in a row. In practice and live action, I, I, we were all amazed by it. You know, same thing with some of my other players, you know, Andre Feliz, who played for us back in the day, and JV on Hammer, two point guards who couldn't shoot, but they really couldn't shoot because they were taking the wrong threes. They were taking off the dribble threes, they were taking the step back threes. I'm like, mean, yo, know, guys, like when it gets reversed you, hands set, feet set, knock it in. And they both shot in the high 30s, you know, when they were here. And That's because we kind of let them be who they are early in the summertime and in the fall. And like, I try not to crush them. I try to see what they got, what's in the tank. And I think we all come in as head coaches with preconceived notions, who could shoot, who can't shoot, what they're going to do. It's like I watch a lot of tape on guys before we get them. I talk to a lot of people and, and they give me what they think they are. But like a lot of times they have more in the tank than they even thought they had.
0: And we can all see how that connects to your philosophy of installing defenses and installing offenses. <laughs> it, it's all very similar in that way. And I think that
1: consistency must help your players in terms of their understanding of what you're trying to do. It does. And like, like the reigning in part, like even this group, they, they talk, they're always talking on practice and like, you no, know, well, I'm trying to talk. i got to tell them to stop talking. But like a lot of times they're talking about, they're helping each other out on like, Hey, you know, I should have did this. Like, But it's just sometimes it's too much. But like end of the day, I think we start gravitating. They start understanding it all comes together at the end, which is we want to play for league championships, state championships, national championships. So it's not really how you do early. It's how you do late. And that's how we try to build this thing. I I I I think I guys really, really do appreciate, you know, at the end of the at the end of the road, they're like, damn, you know, you gave me a lot of freedom. You let me be who I am. And and that's why I'm going to Oregon. Chris Duarte, or you know, Xavier Moon went to Morehead State and had a good in the NBA. Like just they, like those guys really, really appreciate it down the road. Sometimes they don't appreciate it early. Coaches, a brief interruption from the podcast
0: to talk about hoops analytics With basketball season approaching quickly, do you have an affordable, powerful stats and analytics system in place yet? Rather than overspending on the same old antiquated stat system. You can get cutting-edge, video link stats, and deep analytics at around half the price you're paying now. Hoopsalytics analysts will break down games for you so you can instantly measure the effectiveness of your players, lineups, and player combinations. And you can add tracking for your unique plays, sets, and actions to see what's working and what needs to be improved. You can even measure shot quality and things like contested and uncontested shots to improve your offensive points per possession. Features like interactive shot charts, game timeline visualizations, assist maps, and more makes Hoopsalytics an invaluable resource for coaches of all levels. Discover how Hoopsalytics can help you save money and make better data-driven coaching decisions. Visit Hoopsalytics.com/ball today to learn more and start analyzing your games for free. That's h-o-o-p-s-a-l-y-t-i-c-s.com/slash. Ball. I have no doubt about that. And uh, coach, I've seen some of your practice drills over the years. And the one thing that always stood out to me is it seemed you seem to really value two-way teaching, two-way coaching that, you know, you're, there's always two sides to every drill. So talk to us a little bit about that.
1: And I know this is not a, it's not a new concept. It's something, but, but I think it's something that's really helped us out. Like we run four on three contests, like everybody does, you know, three guys inside, four on the perimeter, you know, the corn on wings. And but like, when you got guys flying, you got to make shots. It definitely helps your passing. It helps your shooting. It helps, and like, you know, it's just kind of, my, you know, I'm trying to focus on the defense, but I'm realizing, damn, that ball's moving so quickly because these guys are so in tune. It carries over to game time stuff. So, you know, I know a lot of times you assign a coach to offense, coach to defense, but like, we don't do that in drills. We just kind of let the guys do what they do. And, and but it just, it's just good to watch how they develop and how they start having a feel for each other on that, you know. And, you know, our drills keep growing. like, even with four on three contests, I never used to do blockouts, but I went to, I worked with Joe and, you know, we had guys crashing. I thought that was a great thing to add to it. But like, you know, so now you got offensive rebounding out of it as well. So all of a sudden you have different, you have different elements of things and, and you start laying your drills and you get better on both sides of the ball. A lot of times guys on the defense, on the offensive side, aren't really going live because it's a defensive drill. We want to go live as often as we can.
0: 4 3 contest is a great drill, obviously, and you talked a little bit about it, but uh, can you share some of the different things that you do throughout the season to be able to kind of evolve the drill in terms of different types of rules or different types of competitive advantages you provide within it?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, we, you know, what we say, well, if you get the five pass, basically that's, you know, the, the defense won the drill. We're trying to we're trying to force the ball back to the middle when it gets skipped, from it was two players on one side, when it gets skipped to the one side, kind of like when you play a two-three zone, you jump the passing lane. Give our guys a little more time, so we kind of add that type of stuff. You know, we added the the offensive rebounding piece. Three guys have to get blocked out, and the and the and the free guy. If he gets a run at the ball and he gets it, he's, you know, obviously it, 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 the defense still won the drill. We put two stops on it or three stops on it as well to get that team out. We do it depending on time. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three. Um, when we have a game in the next couple of days. We probably try to go to two because we got to get through practice pretty quickly. So, like, big part is contesting, and I think I don't think people know how to contest properly. You now, to people are like in your airspace, people, and I mean, there's so many threes being shot today. I mean, we've got teams shooting 40 and 50 threes. You know, so that means you have that many opportunities to contest shots, and we have to teach these guys how to jump in their space and take away the vision, versus always trying to block the shot or or having it, or landing in their area sp- that space. So, like. That's a big part of the drill early on. So that's why we don't add those other pieces to it. We're just trying to get them to get a good contest up. And, you know, it's, it's something I, I firmly believe. And we practice that basically every day.
0: How else do you practice that coach? I mean, that is such a valuable point. I'm glad you uh, shared that with us.
1: Just, I mean, just live play. Like we, 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 talk about live play, you know, we talk about contesting shots and getting the fifth rebounder in, in the action. How many times do we have flybys and that guy gets the rebound, and they win the game. Like that, that's something I I'll live by and die by, like, you know, we have to get the fifth guy into the, into the action. So, you know, but a lot of the times it is a flyby because it's a, it's, you're at a rotation. So you can't give a guy a wide open three. So you got to try to run off the lining, but now you got to stop on the dime and get back into play. Um, yeah. So that's it. It's
0: the beauty of all this that I know you've been with coaches who do not want flybys. And yeah, yeah, it, it's the beauty of it, like, that both ways probably have a good argument for it. But I've always been fascinated and really enjoyed coaching flybys as well.
1: And and honestly, like, I tried, I try to let them be who they are, but just contest the shot. Like Some guys like to just, you know, close out, choppy steps. And I'm, I'm not a choppy step guy. I'm more of the – these guys high-level athletes. Sprint out, stop on a dime, you know, go straight up in the air versus – launching at the guy, but whatever works for them and whatever they're best at, I try to let them be. But the choppy step, close out, contest, I think is 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 not the right way to do it anymore because too many guys shoot that ball so fast.
0: There's no question about that. And coach, give us a feel. I mean so much success through all your time and so many experiences. Talk to us a little bit about some of the values that kind of direct your program.
1: We're a junior college. So it's it's a little different than when you get guys division one so we have you know, different situations with guys. Sometimes we'll take guys because they're they need a second opportunity or they've got some issues or some different things. We got to coach them from a lot of times from, from the ground up. You know, so we talk about appreciating your opportunities all the time. You know, appreciate your, your professors, appreciate the assistant coaches, appreciate the administrators on campus. You know, that's one thing we talk about communication, which I think is lacking drastically in this world we're in now. People don't even want to say thank you. And sometimes they, they say it in their own little way, but we have to direct them on how to, how to, we have to coach them on how to say it. Look them in the eye, shake the hand, thank them. Send them a thank you note if something good happened. Like just the little things are like that and the other big communication piece. I'm sure a lot of coaches on here, like try to get their guys to talk on the court. That, that's a challenge as well. So like we start off doing a lot of drills with some talking stuff. That, that, that's part of our core value stuff. You know, another big, another big part of our core values is definitely trust. Can I trust you? You know, this group, they had a 3.5 GPA, 3.59 GPA, so I, I, could, I could trust them off the court. They took care of their business. Could they take care of their business in the community? Could I do? And then I can probably trust them on the court. And then the last piece we talk about a lot, you know, and I don't want to go too deep in each one, but, like, is, is don't be a distraction. I mean, I know it's simple. I know coaches like, we all have someone who's a distraction on our roster. you got to coach that guy and let him know you can't be a distraction. I don't want to spend 90% of my time on 10% of my guys that is not fair to the other 90% of the guys and we hammer that home in the summertime you know we recruit to that we recruit we try to recruit the best quality people we can recruit but every once in a while you know you'll, you have to take a chance on a guy and a lot of times it works out because they they, they understand and they appreciate it. and we've got plenty of guys who've played division 1 or are currently playing division 1 who needed the opportunity here and needed the guidance and needed it to, to follow our core values to get to where they're at and I tell the division one coaches when they, when I recruit them from here, you know, I don't know. you, you think you can play basketball, that's, that's on you, but like, I know you're going to get a better person than we got here. Someone that you could trust, someone that's going to go to class, someone that's going to be respectful, you know, someone that's going to represent your program. Like you want it to be the most respected program in the country. And that's what I tell the guys every day. You know, I know we're division one junior college, but like, Hey, we want to be the most respected program in the country on and off the court. And if you follow the plan we have in place, with the freedom we give you, you're going to get there and you're going to be successful and you're going to have a lot of success, you know, and you're going to go to a division one or, you know, we've had a couple of guys go division two walk-ons, but like literally you're going to have the opportunity you dreamed of again, or for the first time.
0: Don't be a distraction seems like such a simple thing, but it's really struck me coaching, especially young people that they sometimes now don't know what
1: is. So I'm curious, is that something you've experienced as well? Oh yeah. I mean like we've, I've got a one, a one and a half guy, one guy for sure. One and a half guys doing it now. Like, you know, even during games or like after games or in practice and got to constantly correct them. And a lot of it's emotional. So like, you know, like we're dealing with a different breed these days. I mean, some guys who didn't have support, the proper support. Now we've got guy, you know, we got guys, my a mom and dad, like, you know, he grew up with his brothers and sisters and like, you know, so like we're dealing with all kinds of stuff. And a lot of times it's a conversation a lot of sometimes you have to obviously just give them some love through discipline. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's getting harder and harder. I'm sure the coach and I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, you probably could do a podcast on all the coaches that are retiring because they can't connect with the guys or it's harder and harder as we go forward. You know, some coaches say it's not harder. It's harder. It's harder. You have to, you have to work at it. You have to be intentional every day. You have to think about what you're going to say to your group. You just can't speak off the cuff anymore because you could say the wrong thing that could not only get you fired, but you say the wrong thing that could impact them and hurt their feelings. And now they won't play as well for you to help you win the game. So, like, we have to be much more intentional these days. And, unfortunately, we do have distractions, and i got I got to let them know, but in my own way, and a lot of times it's through love and discipline.
0: As a quick aside, I had a basketball immersion member who's coaching youth, and he had a player, anytime he wasn't involved in the drill, that would check his phone in his bag during practice. <laughs> And, and and you think about that and go, okay. And literally when he started to talk to him about it,
1: the kid didn't know he wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> uh, Chris listen, we've had the same thing here. You know, we, we've had no no phones in practice really. Sometimes they bring it out anyway because they charge and like, yeah, you got you they, they need to be taught almost everything from, from the from the beginning. You know, I took a player who was hurt last game and he's an emotional guy and he it's actually try to walk past me and my staff with his phone he just he had to call his parents because you know he he needed their reassurance like because it's just such a different world we're living in now and you know i i do think i guys a good overall for the most part but we do have to let them be who they are a little bit as well
0: it, it strikes me that one of the ways that you do communicate so many of these things to your players is obviously through emphasis on a daily basis and and i i kind of you know, again, right or wrong, judge your personality a little bit as more matter of fact. Like this is, this is honesty at its finest, isn't it, at this level when you can just be very direct and very honest and you don't have to be mean or demeaning, but just be emphasizing it every single day.
1: Yes, yes, you do. I, I think I do have that personality. I do like to joke a lot. I do like, but I, I got to pick and choose when I could do that. But, but I was just talking to my staff earlier um, about how everything is, starts in junior college and it winds up in division one. You know, like you just to, just to how guys are acting and how they're talking and how they're maybe not practicing as hard. All that stuff. It just so we're kind of ahead of the curve a lot of times of dealing with things like that. Now, you know, now with all the transfer things and we've dealt with that before. Like we're, we're used to coaching a G League team. You know, every year you have a new team deal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's
0: it's easy, like and, and obviously the success. I mean, you mentioned Duarte and you mentioned Xavier Moon. You know, we we can talk about those players easily, moving on to their next level. But I think a challenge for a lot of high school coaches and college coaches like yourself is to have those conversations with the players that aren't going on to that next level. So can you take yeah. us through that process? Cause I'm sure you've had many of those conversations in your time to be able to help a player who had a dream and now they have to reconfigure their mind in terms of what's next
1: yeah so when we recruit guys you know i could tell them the truth early on but nine times out of ten they're going to come to campus they're going to think they're going to be the best player on my team the best player in the state best player in the country and leading scorer in the country as well and first team all-american so usually it happens it starts happening earlier on we find that either we made a mistake in recruiting or they're not giving the effort that we thought they can give or that whatever so like Usually we'll know earlier, this kid's not going to be the high major player or mid-major player, you know, but we've had 49 guys out of 49 guys graduate, and all but one of them went on to Division One. one of them decided to go into private business afterwards, he that, that one, one of my guys from last year, which is surprising, but we've had a bunch of guys go Division Two that were walk-ons, and they embraced, they were happy just to have that opportunity, they, they, were, they, were, they were very happy to be go Division Two. so and I think a lot of our guys have a pretty good understanding of what goes on. I've been fortunate, though. We we haven't had a lot of guys that haven't you know, reached their goals. All of them have basically reached their goals. So at, at Northwest Florida, I've coached at Monroe College and the Bronx D2. And to now Westchester, I've coached Bronx Community College. So I've dealt with it on different levels. But here, we've been very fortunate. Take us through
0: uh, roster management then, because, again, another challenge for you. Uh, a lot of turnover traditionally from year to year. But, you know, obviously different ages of players, obviously, as well, that can come through your program in terms of their years that they've already played, their eligibility, et cetera?
1: Yeah, so, you know, more often than that, we've got to recruit like 10 new guys a year, trying to get the best talent we can get, but obviously quality people as well. A lot of our recruiting and roster management, you know, we, I tell my guys, I want to be able to practice. The way I want to practice is the way I want to recruit, because the way you practice is going to be the way you play. So I want to always have eight guards, you know, f- prefer three point guards, three combo guards, two two guards, so we can go small lineup or small lineup in practice. I like to have a bunch of big guys as well because, you know, for instance, like we have a guy on a team now, Jay Scheider, we have a Jaquette Shuler who's a seven-footer. Like last year we didn't have a big guy. Jay got in a championship game. We needed him to play. He came and got a shot blocked over and over and over because he wasn't going against a guy like that in practice. So that was I was intentional about finding a seven-footer and a 6'10 guy that could block shots. And now Jay understands how to shot fake and, you know, play off two and reverse the ball, all that stuff. Like So like literally we're trying to build – our roster for practice so our guys can get better as well and how we want to play unfortunately i don't get to the small lineup as much as I, I want to because we always have big really good big guys so a lot of times it's traditionally two big guys and three guards but you know we we finally started practicing some small ball lineup the last couple of days and i think and the guys actually absolutely loved it especially the team that's got all the good guards on one team but yeah you know, we got to get the guys that fit what we want to do. We we like to recruit guys that like to practice hard, but you just never know because, you know, more often than not, you're going to make a mistake or someone's not going to tell you the truth. But I always tell my staff and I, we try to find three, four or five people that know the kid personally. If it's Division One coaches, people that coach them to find out really what's going on with that kid so we don't get too many duds.
0: What, what type of questions do you ask those people to be able to get the depth that you need?
1: This is one of the questions, but we do it usually later on in the process, things about mental health stuff, because a lot of people have mental health now. Does your son take any medication? I recruited a kid years back that he was bipolar. We didn't know that. And like, just assumed the parent would tell us. Parents said she did tell us, but she didn't. And like, literally, that's one of the questions we we try to dig into because, you know, that's not saying we're not going to take a guy, but we want to make sure we're prepared to help him with the proper resources that we could provide here you know, practice habits Is he first last in the gym, you know, things like, does he like to be coached? You know, does he, how hard, how hard you coach him and that type of stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's more of a conversation than a list of questions. And I'm always involved in the recruiting process. Almost. I, I think I, I speak, I basically spoke to every guy that we've ever recruited here as coaches and and, and parents, because I find it's important to have a relationship with the mom and dad have a relationship with the high school coach. So when things aren't going well here, we can kind of rein them back in because we call them and they, they snap there, you know, they, 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 they do what they got to do to get them back on uh, in line. So a lot of times if guys do sign early, the division one coaches become that person as well. So, but yeah, roster management is big. You know, that, like I said, we, lo- we have to have big guys. We got to have a bunch of guards and cause we want to play fast and we want to challenge our guys every day in practice.
0: It's definitely a fascinating piece that I know you deal with a lot in terms of that. And something you said I just want to come back to is getting the right pieces to run practice. I don't think I've heard someone phrase it before in terms of the recruiting process that the focus is on practice and competitive practice. Where did that philosophy come from for you?
1: I just think I, we developed it ourselves here, my staff. You know, we all talk about everyday guys. And if you do things every single day, you're going to get better. You're not going to have a choice. So we practice the right way every day, which you know, in my eight seasons here, obviously we've had some bad days, but some some years we don't have any bad days or some years we have one bad day here or there, you know, but like literally you have to, these guys have to get better. So the only way to get better is by competing against the best in practice. And, you know, we we try to make sure they're going against guys that are better than regularly.
0: Yeah. And this makes practices pretty fun. Do you do anything in terms of score, keeping score consequences, et cetera, regards to score?
1: Yeah, we we do. We, the guys are more competitive than me. I like just I like to just get these guys better, but they, they like the winning and losing aspect of it. So we do we do keep scoring a lot of things, and you know, even on four and three contests, or you know we'll, we'll do some we'll do some running sometimes afterwards. Sometimes I just let it go because I'm trying to get through practice. But but the competitive piece is is really really important for players. And I would recommend you know you do have consequences if it's just an up and back or it's a 22 or some push ups or whatever it happens to be. But yeah, my guys are usually naturally competitive because because they've got something to play for. All these guys are playing for Division I scholarships and opportunities ahead.
0: We dove into the defensive install, but can you talk a little bit about offensive install as well? You talked about the same process in terms of introducing a whole bunch of things and then figuring out what works. Take us through that process a little bit of the different things that you introduce, but then more focusing on funneling it down to the things that are actually going to be effective for this group.
1: Yes, yeah, so we have, we have a fast break offense we call Phoenix offense. You know, we basically stole it from back in the day, seven seconds. We we run a lot of ball screen off offense, and we build off of that. You know, we build off of side ball screen, middle ball screen stuff, dribble hand off into a ball screen action. You know, but as I said before, like, it really comes down to who we have, what we're really good at. You know, like last year's group played so fast, we were wild. And Adam Sweeney, who's been with me now for his fourth years, two years previous, and then when I came back, he just came back with me, so now it's fourth year with me. He's like, when we throw the ball into the post, we slow down, and we play better out of that, that, that way. And he was 100% correct. Like, literally, you know, it's, it's a year-to-year process on what we're going to install and how we're going to play. And we had some pretty good post players and some pretty good passes out of the post and you know, we get it in the post on a regular basis, you know, teams would double. We have we'd have 45 cuts, so we'd have, you know, different actions or you know, screen away and throw back like for threes. So like it's just a matter of who your personnel is really and and what you feel comfortable doing and what the guys are comfortable with really doing.
0: To, to me, the philosophy makes sense. So I'm curious more about kind of how you actually then evaluate, because obviously the best test for anything that you do is the game, but you don't have enough games necessarily to evaluate it right away. So, are you evaluating in practice? And then I imagine with that, are you playing a lot of offense versus defense in practice to figure it out?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, in the summertime, you know, this year we had like eight of our guys here in the summer. So, I watched a lot. You know, we did a lot of three on three, the Olympic three on three stuff, which I think is phenomenal to do when we when we didn't have enough to go full. But we have a lot of college guys in the area coming, some ex person pros and some ex pros around. You know, they're going down to the beach, like, hey, could I get a workout at your place? And all of a sudden, we're playing five on five you know, with some, some, some pros. And I just sit in the stands and watch and take notes and, and evaluate and try to figure it out. And, you know, sometimes I think I'd never figure it out. But, like, a lot of times I'm like, you know, like these guys like what we're doing. And and, and, it's, it's, and a lot of times I'm like, we got to change the way we're doing things. And even, for instance, this year I watched a lot in the summertime with one of our players, Rasheed Jones, who just committed to Western Carolina, where he started from, which is, which is another story in itself, but he's going back. I didn't think he would play point guard. And now he's at one of our premier guys handling the ball running offense. He's our best assistant turnover guy. You know, so just watching him play. You know, there was a guy last year I thought could play point guard. I was, and my staff was like, there's no way he could play point guard. I'm like, he's going to be our point guard. I could tell he's going to be our point guard. And I was completely wrong, you know, because I watched him play throughout the fall. And I just, I just, I was infatuated probably with his size and his athleticism. But his decision making wasn't that what I thought it would be. So just sitting in the stands watching or sitting on the table watching and letting my staff run things or playing five on five or or the three on three Olympic stuff or you know, I think you, I think I don't I don't know if enough coaches probably do that. Everyone's trying to teach stuff. I think playing is probably the best teacher there is. And I and obviously I've watched your podcast, hundreds of them, and people talk about playing more in practice. I worked for, for Tim Welsh for 13 years, who worked for Coach Jim Beheim, and he used to tell me they used to they used to just as I guys say, hoop in practice, they just play and they play a lot, you know, and they play a lot of man, they play some zone, they just they just play basketball. And I think we don't do enough for that. I'm I know I am probably guilty of a little more this year than we haven't in the past, but I thought this group needed a lot more teaching.
0: Coach, one of the things that stands out from hearing you talk about this, which is obviously a huge part of coaching nowadays, is being open-minded. You're open-minded, but you can't be open-minded if you don't take the opportunity to step back. And see what's happening.
1: I've always been that way. I've always had an open mind to things. I'm a, I'm a, you know, lifelong learner, like they say. I mean, I've gotten better because I've watched so much film and and, and things. And you know, I still remember one of my first Division One interviews, and the athletic director at a mid major school in the MAC conference said to me, you know, you do a great job recruiting, but I don't know if you can coach basketball. So I took that to heart, and for the last twenty plus years, I've been trying to soak up as much basketball stuff as I can. But while I went through that process, I understood, you know, you had to listen and learn and always evaluate. Cause you're, cause I think a lot of coaches want to, want to have the answers, but I don't think we always have the answers. You know, we, there was always something, a better way to do things or a more meaningful way to do things or a more meaningful way to approach things. I take yoga classes. I take, I take aerobics class. I take spin classes. I love it because it's for my my own health, but I love the positivity from those teachers. When was the last time a spin teacher or a yoga instructor yelled at you? Like oh, they're just they're just correcting you, like they're trying to they're trying to make you into a better you know better at that whatever you're doing or help you out. Like like those are the type of things that I've always had uh, I've always wanted to get good at and better at and I'm still that way. And like I said, that's my weakness. My strength is my weakness because I let people sometimes talk too much and I let them have too much to say. But I think in the long run, once we rein them in, I think it usually works out. And some groups are better at it than other groups. Coach,
0: I mean, that that's brilliant. I love the way that you connected that to, like, the yoga teaching. We always go, oh, you know, in the classroom, that school, in math class, nobody yells at you, but thinking about these different classes and stuff that people take, I mean, it's all positive energy, it's all positive vibes, and you're motivated, right? So those things impact you, and that's just such a brilliant analogy, Coach. Thanks for sharing that with us. And uh, now we all have to watch you do yoga, I think.
1: It's not very pretty, my mom, but yeah, it's, it's yeah, exactly.
0: But that's a brilliant connection. Thank you for connecting that with us. And uh, you particularly, I know you've been through so many different coaches and coaching experiences through your time that you can really reflect on that and think about a lot of the yelling and a lot of the abuse that happens in a practice and going, can we not approach it from a better way at this point?
1: Yeah, and i'm and I gotta constantly correct myself too, because I'm emotional sometimes too, once in a while, when I tell someone something three times. and but like for the most part, it, it's all about positive. I think I think these young men connect better to positivity than negativity they really do and also it's not good to yell it's not good it's not good for your voice i mean who's you know the, and most of these guys don't listen to what you're saying anyway so you're better off being positive with them
0: well you're already on the beach but it's also not good to be able to end up on the beach someday relaxing right
1: <laughs> oh, no, I, need, I, need, I actually i need more of it i got to get over that more often
0: that's brilliant. Coach, just tremendous. I mean, thank you so much for sharing the game with us your background, your experiences your success you've had just a wonderful thing to be able to have you on this podcast. Thanks for joining us. Really
1: appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Chris.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate review and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game and to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion subscribe to our newsletter at basketballemergent.com newsletter.